The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast. You're more in pitching podcasts from pitchels.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, we're going to talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks on the series, reviewing all 30 starting pitching rotations in the major league. So with the Diamondbacks, we got to start with Zach Gallen, who had 184 innings last year, 254 ERA, 0.91 whip, 27% K rate, 6.6% walk rate, and 28% CSW. It was a tale of two halves, though. 331 ERA, 104 whip, 23% K rate, 7% walk rate through the first four months or so. And then he had that ridiculous uh, about 41 frames of zero earned runs. If you remember that from Zach Gallon, that was a 136 ERA, 0.72 whip, 33% K rate through his final about 30, 73 frames of the year. So how does Zach Gallon do that? It's kind of weird. He doesn't have a massive swing strike rate pitch. He had a sub 11% swing strike rate for the year, which was about 119th or so, uh, ranked among all starting pitchers. Yeah, he still has a 27% K rate. How does he do that? Fastballs get dotted along the edges. And I'm really impressed with Gallon's ability to throw low curveballs and changeups. Curveballs, 80% low lock or so, and the that's low location. The league average is about 61%. So really interesting to see that he just does not give in. And normally when you see something along those lines, you don't see a low walk rate. And it was really nice to see a high O swing on that, about 45%. Changeup was down as well. The cutter. Got into a rhythm in that second half during that amazing stretch, too. I I, I want to believe in Gallon. You guys know me. I'm a Gallon gal at heart. I have been for years. At the same time, I see those incredible marks across 184 innings. I mean, he was essentially like a top 10 pitcher. 12 wins, 12 and 4 for the Diamondbacks. Um, was good. It wasn't, you know, the 16 or so that you want, but it's the Diamondbacks, and that's pretty great. The Diamondback defense was excellent. That, I think, was a big game changer for him. A 5.9 hit per nine. If you're not really too familiar with hit per nine, around league average is about eight or so. And to see a 33% increase or, or be 33% underneath it, actually it's 25%, but from six to eight or so, it, it's huge is what I'm trying to say. That is absolutely elite, the uh, limitations of hits, especially when you have that low of a walk rate. That's why he has a 0.91 whip. I think that's kind of weird. His 165 batting average allowed on the fastball is insanely low. Uh, you have a sub 200 also on the curveball and a 202 on the changeup. I think those have to go up next year. We all didn't expect the Nimebacks to have this good of a defense. It was great. These should get worse for Gallon, which means the hits go up, which means the whip goes up, which means the ERA goes up, which means probably the walk rate goes up. Everything gets worse when he allows more hits in play when the batting average on those pitches is not as good. 
the velocity to go up on the fastball, 94, and when he does spot it, it's great. It kind of reminds actually of a peak Kenta made from 2020. Why do I say that? Because it's reliant on high called strikes on the fastball, which he's getting 23-25%. Really good on that. And then relying on O-Swing on the other two secondaries. For Maeda, it was the splitter and the slider. For Gallon, it's the changeup and the curveball. Really, the curveball is the big one here. Uh, there's also a cutter. And there is a cutter and a slider, and there is actually a distinction now. It used to not be the case, but now there is. It's a cutter around like 90, 91, maybe 88 to 91 or so. And then you do have a slider. It's around 86 or 87, something like that, which is more loopy. Um, there are times that cutter can be great for Gallon, but he never really found that proper rhythm for it, a little bit more so in that second half. All in all here, I think what you're getting with Gallon in 2023 is someone who throws a lot of innings. They're going to let him go. There was some worry about health with Gallon all of a sudden after being a stalwart of of, of health. The 2021 messed them up a bit. Then he had the shoulder thing at the beginning of the year. He was discounted in drafts, and that was clearly not an issue. 184 innings again uh, for Gallon. I feel as if they're just going to let him go. He's their clear ace, and they might even actually be aggressive in free agency. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but Zach Gallon to me... Should have the volume, should not be a 2-5-4 ERA. I know you're going to see the pass of sub-3 ERA seasons before. He could hover at it, he could hint at it. There's a lot of reliance, I think, on that, those low batting averages in play. And I don't quite think that the hard contact matches what those results have been. A 27% K rate does seem so strange, given that low swinging strike rate, but then again, he is... Maybe closer to Aaron Nola on the called strike realm for the fastball, but the CSW is under 30%. Is he just another version of Zach Wheeler and Sandy Alcantara in this fashion? I don't want to even say that because I don't think his stuff is as overwhelming with the fastball as it is with Wheeler and Alcantara. He's not throwing upper 90s or so. And I think that's, uh, it makes me feel kind of strange about it. So I like Zach Gallen. I think he's a really good SP2. Because he's a good floor guy. He's not going to have a 4 ERA. He's likely going to be around that 3-3 that we saw in those first four months or so. I think closer to a 25% K rate. I think around a 105, 110 whip is very, very reasonable. You should be very happy with that for next year. Is he going to keep getting that high O swing on the curveball and changeup? Is he going to maybe take a step forward in the cutter? I don't know. I'm spending a lot of time on Zach Gallon because I think he's a very interesting one here. I may have been slightly low at 23%, or sorry, 23 on the list. I likely will have him around 20. There are just so many guys inside the top 20 that I do want. He's a floor one. I don't think Zach Gallon's going to be a top five pitcher. I don't think he has that ceiling given he does not have that whiff pitch in his arsenal at the moment. But maybe the changeup and curveball can get there again. Merrill Kelly, let's move on to him. Uh, not as, nearly as interesting to me. 337 ERA, 114 whip, 22% K rate, uh, with about 7 to 8% walk rate, over 200 innings last year. He was the Toby of the year where you had him and then he just kind of did great for you. I will say... He wasn't very good in the last month of the year. He really messed you up, uh, actually, yeah, in the middle of August through the end. So the first four months and change, Kelly was a stud, 2-5 year or so, and then it really came apart, including the penultimate outing where he allowed eight earned runs. And I watched Merrill Kelly some more. I feel like if you just watched Merrill Kelly, you will see that, oh, he just kind of relies heavily on the fastball and hopes he puts it in a good place and that guys don't hit it hard. The changeup and the curve are fine, 
You know, the changeup was a little bit better early in the season and wasn't much later on. He still has some cutters that he mixes in there a little bit. But yeah, this is not a guy that just goes out there and overwhelms and dominates. This was a peak season for Kelly. He's a, your typical Toby. He probably will settle around a 3-9 ERA or 4. Hopefully the defense is so good for the Diamondbacks again so that he can uh, keep that 337 ERA low. Um, yeah, I don't think this is something you want to chase. And keep in mind, for the entire Diamondbacks pitching staff, they get the Dodgers in the first four games of the year and then the, Do- and then the, the Padres. If you draft Merrill Kelly, that means you're starting him against the Dodgers. I don't want to do that. I, I really don't want to start Mel- Merrill Kelly against the Dodgers in the first weekend of the season, which means then you essentially have like a, I don't know, 10-day stash out of the out of the gate for Merrill Kelly. You don't need to do that. There will be another Toby. Go stash somebody else instead of Kelly. And someone you might want to consider is Dre Jameson or Ryan Nelson. Don't do my- Madison Bumgarner. He's going to be the number three. I uh, 488 ERA last year, 144 whip. There are moments that Bumgarner had like a 91 to 93 mile per hour fastball in a given day, and that could work. Uh, he will get his opportunities. He's going to be a streaming option if he isn't taken just by name value in your leagues. I don't want to touch this at all in my 12 teamers. 15 teamers, probably not either, especially as I was mentioning that early bad schedule. Like, I would not get him the first week. Then maybe start looking at it week by week to say, oh, is this the, the week that they get the Pirates or that they get the, I don't know, the Marlins or whatever it is. That might be the time. But even then, it's still a coin flip, in my view, for Madison Bumgarner. You just don't want to do it. He would have to either increase his velocity or improve the cutter or really improve the curveball usage or something. Something needs to absolutely change for Bumgarner to be good. But back to the young guys, Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson, who are currently the four and the five. You could see Taylor Gilbert in there. I don't really care about that. It's just a cutter with a soft fastball and like purely in uh, in play, hope, hoping for the best. Don't want to touch that. I won't be surprised if the Diamondbacks do get another starter in free agency, someone that is relatively cheap, a Toby type, maybe like a Michael Lorenzen or something, to add some depth here because this is two rookies essentially at four and five. And the Diamondbacks should feel like they're getting close to a position of having a window of competition with guys like Corbin Carroll being in that offense now. So something to look out for um, and could be very different by the time uh, you hear this podcast. But it will say Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson will still be in competition in some way for a fifth spot. You could even argue over Bass and Bumgarner if they get two guys, right? And Jameson seems like the one that everyone should be going for right now. That's certainly what I thought at the end of the season. I watched some, him some more, and I, I I took a larger, deep uh, dive into it. I hate that phrase for whatever reason, but I watched him, of course, on this Twitch stream. And I'm not that impressed. I think I was initially. I think he has a lower arm angle than Ryan Nelson, which means that theoretically the 96, 97 mile per hour fastball, that sometimes I remember in the spring touch like 99, uh, was electric. And the slider had a night against the Dodgers. We had 10 whiffs on 33 thrown. Um, Overall for in those four starts and 24 innings of a 25% swing strike rate. That said, I think it's an inconsistent offering. I don't think it's a, it's one of those go into my pocket and throw a slider and I'm going to get a strike pitches. And the four-seamer, sub-10% swing strike rate, if you can believe it. He was down to 94-95 uh, in his final start against the Giants. It was October. He's a young guy. That could easily be October fatigue. I am not as in because I see Dre Jameson as a two-pitch guy, really fastball slider. He does have sinkers, but I don't really think that this is like Alec Manoa. But Alec Manoa... 
Two of those are elite. The four-seamer, I think, is elite. The slider is elite. I think the singer is also kind of elite, too. Dre Jameson, I don't see that with the fastballs right now. The slider, maybe, but it's not quite as consistent enough yet. And that's it. So I see a lot of turmoil in the future. It could be an electric time. It could be an amazing amazing thing. Watch him in the spring. See how he, the Diamondbacks are treating Jameson. See if he's dominating and overwhelming batters and everything. Then maybe I will be back in Andre Jameson. But as of right now, my 12-teamers, I think there's too much in the air and too, too many questions and too much volatility available for Dre Jameson. It's kind of the same thing with Ryan Nelson. Uh, so so anyway, but Jameson, he's at 60 on my list right now. He's going to be farther down uh, by uh, you know by the spring, by my update in, in February. I just don't want to stash him in the beginning. He probably won't get a start that opening weekend against the Dodgers and then it's the Padres. And I just, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, Ryan Nelson, same kind of idea. He ended his season with a scalpula injury. That's essentially like, a, I think it was inflamed shoulder, really. 18 innings, 147 ERA, 0.82 it, but 18 innings, guys, three starts. And he throws hard, about 95, a little bit more over the top than Jameson. Felt more in control. That's generally what you see from a higher arm angle than a lower one. It's just easier to uh, to put the ball where you want when you're more on top of the ball. And he does have a good curveball and slider that plays off really well. Hard to see from his arm angle if it's going to be the slider or the four-seamer. I don't think there were that great that incredible so it really does rely on that four seamer getting his outs which he was able to do but it doesn't seem to be a, a swinging miss pitch and if it's not swinging swing and miss pitch then why are we chasing Ryan Nelson I don't know so both of those guys are very interesting I think they throw hard they did well against the Dodgers which is shocking in the Padres and the Giants um I am not so in on those two because I feel that again if you're going after a two-pitch pitcher they have to have two assets. They need to have two excellent offerings and to go from there. They don't have the depth of repertoire. You could say Ryan Nelson has a curveball and a slider, but no, neither one was like, oh, that's a definitive pitch. And it's not like this full repertoire like it is with Zach Gallen, right? So it's. It, I think they're too interesting too early. They're like, oh, cool. That's that's an interesting thing. It could work, but when, I, when I'm thinking about my 12-teamer drafts, these aren't the guys I think I'm circling circling anymore. There might be more hype in the spring for them. I I I I'm not really leaning in on it as much as I was before because I think there are just too many hurdles for them to uh, jump over before at the start of the year. And I don't want to put you too far in a hole in April and May. You'll probably have better things to chase than them. So that's the Arizona Diamondbacks. We'll see if they get another starter. I imagine they will. So that probably Ryan Nelson or Dre Jameson could be interesting pickups come the middle of the year. Maybe they beat up Madison Bumgarner. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks are just going to pay Madison. But like, yeah, there's value in having a guy that can go six innings and 300 runs on a consistent basis. Like, fine. I get that. I mean, that's what 4A ERA essentially is. What, 5.1 in 300 runs? That's value. Um, so don't expect Bumgarner to really go. Uh, I wonder who does sign with the Diamondbacks. Someone has to. And uh, there's also Brandon Fatt, who uh, is in the minors right now. That he could be competing for something as well. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about him too much because he has not pitched in the majors yet. He's just going to be something we learn as we are aware of him. But maybe he's more interesting. Uh, Chris Clegg can talk more about that one, and he certainly has in the past. Um, but uh, but anyway, that is going to do it for uh, this episode of the Plus Pitch Podcast. We'll talk about Atlanta tomorrow. 
And so make sure, make sure you to subscribe uh, and enjoy them through the entire month of January. But that's going to do for today. So my name is Nick Pollock. And may your babs be low and your strikeouts high.